Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Kirk Gray. And this is Fred Schenkberg. Well done, Kirk. It actually has a, you have a radio <laughs> voice sometimes, you know that? <laughs> Maybe I could be a DJ. Who knows? Yeah. Yes. People have said I like my voice. So, um, yeah. um, and I listen to the podcast. It sounds okay. <laughs> well, that's, that's, I think, a criteria to be on radio or do recordings is you, I, I cringe every time I hear my own voice, even though <laughs> Diane tries to make it, you know, sound better with all the magic she does on, on her end. Right. Um, my wife does the editing for the podcast, so I, I don't have to listen to my own voice, but um, thankfully she does. Yeah. I have to listen to them when I do the notes. So yeah, that's I do true. hear both of us talk. So that works out great. So anyway, hey, we got a question, um, uh, and I knew it was right up your alley, so I'm glad we had a chance to chat. <laughs> we um, love questions. We do. We love questions. And, but this was, it reminded me of like, I think one of the very first episodes we did it was about how do you do halt? You know, what's, what is this halt thing kind of thing? But this question was basically, um, you know, they, they admitted they'd listened to some of the episodes and they heard us talking about halt and they said, well, we think this is something we need to do. So is it really just, I take a couple of samples and go find a halt lab and give it to them and then they run with it. And I knew your answer for this and i suspect <laughs> i know what the answer is i should say <laughs> I, a- absolutely not yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and i was just talking to chris about a, a similar question but it was on an aging study is like do you know of a lab that can design and set up this test for us and run it for us it's like Chris's take on it was, I think, similar. What we're going to talk about was, no, you actually need to do a little thinking first. You, right. you don't, you can't outsource the critical thinking part. No, you know, it's, no. You still need to ask the right questions and do the pre-work kind of stuff to make this work. Yeah, and especially with Hall. Yeah. It's, it's a discovery process and you're the one that's going to know the product. You're the one, your company's the one that knows what the past failures have been in the history. And yeah, and you're probably not going to tell a lab all the things that you suspect may happen, but you can't anyway, we'll go ahead. But it's, it's a very, uh, you know, Hey, I learned this new idea. Let's go do it. Let's find a lab and do this. Uh, all we have to do is give it to them and, you know, they'll we'll get a report and mm-hmm. we'll get a report or whatever. And, and this lab, you know, unless they've been, you know, working with your products for years or have a, a real detailed knowledge of its function and its capabilities and its past history, it's not going to be very useful to you. And besides that, before you go to the lab, there's a many, many things that you have to do within your company to be able to get any potential success out of it. And I, there's so many paths that you have to uh, apply to convince and show the relevance of this because it is so difficult for companies that are oriented toward traditional reliability and models and calculations to understand why you would want to improve the margins beyond the spec and beyond or beyond what they anticipate is the worst case use environment, which is always incorrect and yeah. very hopeful. Yeah. Because they're always 
very cons- very optimistic about how the product will be used and customers will pay attention and be, you know, uh, treated with kid gloves and, oh, you know, and absolutely. First right. thing they do is put their phone inside of a, a an otter case or some, you know, right. duct tape right. or something to keep it all. Right. Around. Right. But the, so just on that point though, is one of the things that popped in my mind is that, you know, they, maybe they got, the idea and they got, yeah, go give it a try. And they're ready to go. And, you know, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, there's all that. But the first thing that came to my mind is you're going to come back from this lab, the lab report's going to come back and it's going to say, well, it failed. You have a spec of 40 C on your product for upper operating temperature, for example. And the first failure is at 80 C. And I think that's what you were getting at is the first thing they're going to say is, well, that's about spec. We don't have to worry about that. Right. And right. it's a signal that, well, to be blunt, you just don't get it. <laughs> they and, don't get it. No. And that's what I think you're going after here. One of the examples I use is something like that where they, you know, they take one sample or two samples. One goes to 80 degrees and that's its operating limit. And the other one is 120 degrees yep. and it's its operating. Same, same product. Okay. Right. And Okay. Each one will say, well, it was above spec, and we're not going to investigate it. So you've got to have so many backup resources behind after the halt or during the halt to know if that's a manufacturing defect, if that was a design, uh, it's inherent in the design. Or a measurement all, error or or, or in a very wide distribution, one component that uh, has you know a value that changes that uh, limit quite significantly yep. and you have, you test five and you get three that'll operate uh 120 115 uh maybe 121 25 degrees something like that and then you get that one at 80 well then you have something to investigate yeah but also before you go into this adventure you've got to get your management to see either through past failures in the field or something that's been painful to them, financially especially, not only embarrassing to mm-hmm. the market and public, uh, just like this, you know, we talked about the keyboard with Apple. You, know, you replaced it, had a $50 million lawsuit, but still won't admit to any liability. To <laughs> <laughs> But you've got to get, you've got to find out why that failed and then, show that a test that if you had done this test to an extreme you know level or when it stopped operating you would have probably discovered this in having you know at least five samples or something to that effect or you can take intermittent you know i've suggested this recently to people that attended my webinar get some units from the field that are in df and you're going to have to get a lot of them you may have to get a lot of them but you know, what else are they going to do with them? Do they reship them out? Anyway, right. get the ones that no defect found and put them under some stress, especially the digital products. You know, people that are into uh, wireless communication and things like that. They need to put them into a chamber, run those standard tests that you ran on the bench against many of those NDFs. Uh, you know, using your software, your test software, whatever, that pushes the bound, you know, operates it in all capacities yeah. and and do it at extreme temperatures with digital systems. You will find that there's some of about third, you know, my, my experience was about one third of them will show some kind of problem 
under those conditions and and many times and a lot of times if you have details of what the customer reported it will be very similar either yeah. a, you know blue screen of death or just you know failed to operate or showed this error yeah. that will show up and then you go to your management and then you go to your management or you go to the design engineers and say you know that problem we had that cost us about 2 million in the field you know and we had to have a 5% uh, swap out you know of, of, of these boards whatever okay what was that costing the company what did that cost us well it was maybe a 2 million dollar problem how much is it going to cost to have a a a, a $200,000 maybe $300,000, by the time you set it up, that will be able to give us a, is essentially a time machine for this problem and that we can discover in a chamber. And who knows? You know, I'll go prove it in this, you know, lab if you want me to. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. That's a, that's a, it's a great technique to show that you can find it, a problem that you should have found, you know, but halts a particularly good tool to find the things you don't know you're looking for. And if you wait for your customers to find it, yeah, it's not good. Um, but if you don't do this before you go into the halt program. Yeah. But we don't always have that luxury of an existing product with field failures and say, Hey, look, we would have found all these things rather than scrambling to fix it after. So there, there is a case is a, another way to create the justification is, is that, you know, is, is And we used to do, when I was at HP, we used to do these like lunch and learn type things. And we'd get somebody okay. in that knew a lot about uh, fatigue cracking or, or corrosion mm -hmm. or about right. this. And would just talk through the the nature of, of a failure mechanism, you know, or. Okay. It, so it was a lot of fun because you got to see really cool pictures of really right. ugly dendritic right. growth on stuff and things like that. <laughs> really pretty, I should say. Beautiful blues. And right. And that's, and, and that's solid evidence. You know, that's right. real. You can look at it and see. But it was one of these things that, I mean, there's so many different products and so many different environments that the intent of the, of the discussions was to create awareness of the nature of different failure mechanisms. And even though you see it at 80 degrees C, mm -hmm. it still occurs at 20 degrees C. It just takes longer. Right. And so a lot of different things we talked about and when we talk about failure mechanisms, like vibration, if I do a if I'm still creating a vibration that's still in the elastic range, I can change the amp the magnitude of those vibrations, mm -hmm. and stay within elastic range. And mechanical engineers are going, well, it should be just fine. This is right. Well, here's the failure mechanism that we get, <laughs> and it just takes longer when we use a less hammer, a smaller hammer on it. If we use a bigger hammer, it's the same failure mechanism is just faster. And so right. I would point back to a lot of those kinds of discussions and educational pieces and how things fail, which is always fun to talk about with engineers, and especially when it's their product, and then say, that's what we're doing in HALT. We're trying to expose those things that are going to occur in our normal use, but just take a little longer. And we're trying to find those before they become a problem, or we're exposing manufacturing defects, or we're exposing this, or design errors. But it's the if we don't know about it, we can't fix it. I know. 
I know, but they got to know that that mechanism yeah. has been in their product before, or they've seen it, or it's not relevant to them. Because well, it, no, you know, they, I, I well, disagree. I, no, well, no. One of the best ones I ever did. Yeah, no. One of the ones I and this was I have two stories, and you've heard both of them. But one of them was it was a handheld uh, game controller type of device in some unique design for some unique game they're trying to sell, and. Yeah the circuit board was inside the cylinder and only anchored on one end of it. So it's a long, thin, think of it as a diving board inside right. a cylinder. Right. And the mechanical engineer is like, well, circuit boards are so wishy-washy. I'm not going to, I don't know how to attach that without creating stress on it and all that other stuff. So I'm just going to attach it at the end. It'll be fine. Well, one of the use applications was holding this device and clapping and it had a sensor in it that could tell if you were on the beat or not kind right. of thing. Yeah. Right, and I like, right. so you're slamming this thing together with your hand. Right. 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 There's going to be vibration and vibration on a circuit board is usually not a good thing. Oh, it won't be enough vibration. It'll just do this. It'll be the single. Right. And so I, I, I said, let's do a clear case and video it. Okay. And, and until I had the video, he didn't believe me. And he dismissed the finite element analysis that showed the nature of the vibration. Oh, that'll never happen. That was a bad simulation. He just kept denying it until I showed him the actual video of it. But then we took it to halt. And I and said, no, trust me, we're going to go run this test and, and see what else we can find in this thing. He said, mm -hmm. haven't you broken it enough yet? And I'm like, no, we haven't. Mm -hmm. Come on, let's go find mm -hmm. out. And they had a battery wire that came mm -hmm. off the battery chamber, a stiff mm -hmm. wire, that mm -hmm. at the last minute they moved it about an inch where it would mm -hmm. attach to the circuit board. And it's not a mechanical hold to put a thin wire soldered into a circuit board. <laughs> it's um, in the middle of a, a ramp that it would dampen the vibration a little bit, but not completely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And where they bent the wire and how they assembled the thing, the wire rubbed on the surface of the circuit board. And would you mm -hmm. know that the, opposite polarity trace was right under the solder mask. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so and shorted it, out. it shorted right. out within about four right. minutes right. in the test. And right. we opened the, the thing went off, you know, and, and, and it was like, all right, what's going on? And you open it up and you can smell right. the phenolic burning because the battery right. discharged right. completely into it or across it. And, and we took it apart and we could see the rubbing. It was, obvious to the we didn't even need a microscope so i sent some pictures back to the designer and and uh i said you know i think this is a different problem but it's still vibration <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And well, he, he sure. was blown away at that point but it was because of that first one showing him says here's when we suspect and it wasn't we didn't do halt we just took it in the lab and right and right and just to see you how showed it moved. Him a failure mode yeah. that you could reproduce and accelerate and this is the very first controller they had ever made. They didn't have any history. Well, so I, no, no, no. I, this was it was a unique design. It was a. It wasn't okay. like the classic uh, PlayStation or Game Boy, you know, type controller. It was a, a kind of looked like a microphone, right? It but it had a bunch of extra it electronics. Had accelerometers in it, and it had uh, lots of things in it. It was really cool. I, but I right, and and you showed a very probably a very relevant failure before that but yeah. if you'd gone well outside you know and you just showed the vibration you know physical you can obviously you were able to uh do that convincing him but 
I think there's so many cases that you can't no. physically see no, that. No, if I was at 50 GRMS, they would yeah. said, nobody's ever going to see that. And we well, happen to see the one. Right. For a handheld device that uses a game controller that you know is going to be dropped and, and well, you said clapped. And, oh, we yeah. even tested it for, will it fracture if you sat on it? Because we didn't want yeah, to cut exactly. somebody's butt apart and get so sued for it. You know, <laughs> you know that, that that kind of thing, any outdoor consumer or handheld device from a, for consumer use, is absolutely going to be overstressed beyond its limits by somebody somewhere. And so there oh, is we, a... It was a fun product to work on. The team was right. actually pretty accommodating. It's, it's like, well, we brainstormed for about 20 minutes one day in one of the staff meetings as well. How many ways can this be stressed? And it was right. phrased that way, which is a, another thing you should do before you go to the halt chambers. Well, what kind of stresses do you what are relevant to apply to this thing right now this was right. an electronic component but handheld and so drop right. is a good one or shock oh, or you know sure. all these kinds of things we right. even had a long discussion about well what happens if somebody's it was like you know like the, there was the there was one product it was oh what was it i don't even remember what game station it was but it was you could do golf swings and you could, it was a little wrist held or handheld thing, but you could do no, tennis. We, yeah. We. Yeah. And the, they had a long debate about. No, um, Great little game. I said, I well, had one. You know, I, I, I agree, but it was, do we put a wrist strap on it or not? And it was, yeah. and the fear was, and I guess there were some reports of people throwing their controller through the TV kind of thing yep. into walls. They did. <laughs> they did. I noticed you didn't, you said you didn't do that. So that's no, good. No, no, no. But, but they got dropped and they got thrown and it was a real action game with the accelerometers and the controller. Yeah. So it's expected those controllers received a lot of shock and vibration and, and, uh, you know, being, possibly dropped and thrown against a wall and again that's, yeah. there's a limit to what you can do to protect yourself from the those oh right a, extreme extreme you know it goes out a window down drops to six floors right downstairs that's not gonna be it's not gonna survive so part of the discussion was what, what one of them was is in order to understand if you have margin or not it's like the yeah. temperature one well we right. didn't really know if 40 degrees c was relevant or not and, and we were so we gathered a bunch of uh, uh, weather data basically and said in the markets we're going to be at um, this is going to see you know 45c uh, on occasion and we had a percentage for it we did a whole distribution yeah. for it and said so and it was a trade-off part of the information of like do we need to worry about that or not mostly we didn't worry about it but if we would have saw failures at 50c in the chamber there's very little margin there if we would have been working on the assumption that everything would be indoor air conditioned 20 C right. But we knew that wasn't going to happen because we did a little background and it's the same with, well, what's the amount of shock that occurs when you clap your hands. So we actually instrumented some stuff and I found a, a really cool database that covered yeah. the types yeah. of forces people can do right. with grips and push and mm -hmm. buttons and clapping and, and then we measured it with the device and we put some sensors on it and measured how much force it was getting. Mm -hmm. And so we went and figured out what our margin or what the, our capability was or what we expected this, I should say the expected order of magnitude of these stresses that we we're getting, because I knew that if once we went to halt, 
we needed to compare that to what we thought the environment was going to be or the use case was going to be as a, as a starting point for us. Do we have a lot of margin or not? And I expected to find a bunch of stuff in Halt because the design was kind of, it was pretty cool, novel, but I didn't, there were so many ways we knew it could fail from being stepped on, being dropped in, in the right, right. liquid it, on the table to right, thrown through a TV. Right. <laughs> you know? right. So, well, you know, it sounds like a good way, a good approach, but I would, I would say that's not the orientation of halt. And that is looking at the strength of the materials and how, how robust you can make it with just using standard materials and, and stress, uh, standard materials and assembly methods, okay? Well, no, I and agree with so you. I would, I would say but you still need to know what your technical, you still need to know our, if we're failing at our technical limits of the materials, right? The tech, it's failing at 120, and that's the melting point for the polymer we happen to be using. Right. If that's the then, plastic melting point, but if our that's expected use, but if our expected use is 115 C, well, then we got a problem. We got to change materials. Well, for sure, with the materials of plastics and the material properties of plastic. Right, right. That's but my as far example. as FR4 materials, say that no, no, would no, limit... It's... Okay, and this is where, yeah. yeah this is fine. where mechanical testing, vibration testing, is absolutely critical. Yeah. Okay, yeah, and yeah. in fact, doing that when it's, you know, the controller is warm, uh, 100, I mean... Or when know, it's cold. 45, or when it's cold, right, because yeah. either way, it could be that. But at the, at the same time, the electronics... I would, you know, remove from the case, and that's a very separate thing. Yeah. When you, when you look at, so the two you look at from different, the two, the stresses you look at for different things. Yeah. For for me, now thermal stresses affect its function, uh, the timings, the conductivity of the traces and all that, and, and digital hardware and communication hardware, that can be very critical. Yeah. So that's looked at, you know, I totally put it out of the case, to do the stream testing without worrying about the melting point of the plastic, right, just right, the right. FR4 material, which no, I know no, can no, take no, no. We won't, 200. We're not designing one here, Kurt, but the idea is okay. you need to think through it at that level is, you know, what are the types of stresses you're seeing? What are the ranges of stresses you're expecting to see? What are the failure mechanisms you expect? Um, and even if you've never seen it before is, well, how would you measure it? So if I'm looking at, you know, conductivity of the, of the copper and, and will that affect my packets resend rate mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on the Wi-Fi circuit, right? Mm -hmm. It is, it's a signal that something's wrong with the timing. If, but how do you measure that when it's a handheld device inside a chamber? You got to think through all that stuff before you go to right. the lab. You have to, oh, absolutely. That's part of the planning. And in fact, you know, my, my whole approach, what do you do before you actually have a product? Well, you have to plan what kind of tests you're going to run, what you're going to be looking for, yeah. what, where are you going to do it? If you have to set up a lab, if you have to get instruments like spectrum uh, analyzer, or, yeah. oscilloscopes, and, and what test points do you have? Yeah. What functionality do you have with it? Where are your functions going to be most critical? You do the FMEA and kind of uh, prioritize what section of the product you need to do. Uh, but uh, again, yeah, it's, you just don't take uh, two samples down in the lab. They put no, it in the chamber, shake no. and bake it for 20 minutes with it's not right. powered or monitored and they bring it back to you and you test it. It'll probably work just fine. Sure. And, or you get, you know, like one of my clients didn't have a seemingly didn't really prepare properly and brought 
three samples with different operating systems and there were different build uh, <laughs> different development stages and you know I can't there's nothing you can do to compare three different with yep. three different operating systems or you know and not all the same it, it's just and so why somebody you know and I didn't get to talk to them. So and you got said, three single gonna have, sample. We're gonna have, yeah, rooms. they said yeah. we're going to have a halt test down at uh, you know this lab. Uh, we'd like you to be there, and, and that wasn't useful at all. No, no. Well, anyway, the, the idea is of the question is, is yes, there's a whole lot you need to do before you just take a couple samples down to the lab. You know, it's it, very much so. And a good lab would tell you that it's like, all right, now here's the the checklist you need to go through before you come down right. here, you know, the better labs will tell you that before they cash your check <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, kind of thing. So anyway, <laughs> if your mileage may vary and you either have a good lab or not, or one in house and, but use it well. And, and that's yeah. through the planning. Think site. about it. Think about it before you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thanks, Kirk. I knew that would get you going there. I knew that okay, was going to be a good right. question for you. <laughs> so anyway, All if right. you've got a question, you'd like to join our, our list, we've got, uh, we're getting close to our 800th episode, by the way, Kirk. Uh, oh, so, boy. So in order to make that, we need a few more questions. But in order to make the thousandth episode, we need 200 more questions to have topics <laughs> and stuff. Uh, otherwise, we just have to make stuff up. Yeah. Um, and be aware that we have a wide variety of... Fred has such a great panel of uh, people that know about all aspects of reliability. And yeah. that's that's where your question could be answered from so many different angles. Yeah. And it's always a joy to, you know, one, get you, get your question and, and, and get you some response or answer. And then I bring it to somebody like Kirk and then we talk about it and then I learn even more on it. So I was like, this is right. all good. I enjoy it. So please send your questions on over, head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash S O R. And you can find a couple of ways to get in touch with us. Uh, Kirk and I, and the other hosts are all available through LinkedIn, which seems to be a very popular uh, venue for, or medium or whatever that's called to get in touch with us or through our about pages each of us have contact forms and emails and all kinds of stuff on our many many ways for you to get in touch so no excuse you know if you got a question if you have a question about one of the episodes or a question that you're struggling with at work or you're just curious about let us know we'd love to chime in on it so um with that kirk i think uh, we'll um uh, uh, grab a couple of samples and drive off to the halt, local halt <laughs> chamber and see what they can do for us. Uh, I don't have the money for that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's expensive. Yeah. Anyway. It's all the more reason to think about it. And I do enough of breaking my own products in my own house. That's right. Well, that sounds like a topic for another episode. Right, anyway, thanks, Kurt. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Talk to you soon, Fred. Yeah. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.